I'd rather make the film that I feel good about so that if someone does insult it or doesn't like it or doesn't get it, I'm like, that's okay. I'm not making a film for the masses. I'm making a film that means something to me so that I can stand by it and feel good about it. None of them are perfect, but I need to feel okay with it because I can't expect other people to sit through my films if I can't sit through my films. You know, if there's no meaning to me, there's no meaning to anybody else. listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm Trevor Algott, and coming up in episode 243, I sit down for part two of my chat with actress and filmmaker Sophia Savage to continue the conversation about turning adversity into art. In part two, Sophia shares how not being right for just about everything gave her permission to start creating her own work. She also gives us a behind-the-scenes look at what goes into film festival programming, and side note, it ain't always pretty. And she shares her patchwork process for putting ideas together, the simple way that she fills the well, and why she thinks every artist should be a reader. This is episode 243. Stay with us. This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you by Rehearsal Pro. The next newest version of Rehearsal that is finally out in the iTunes store, and you've heard us talk about it many times on the podcast. I am swearing by it. It is getting me through a lot of these meetings. So if you want to learn your lines, be off book for your audition, explore your character, and make stronger choices, and do a whole lot more, check it out at rehearsal.pro slash IAP. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. The app built by actors for actors. So hey everybody, Trev here. Welcome to episode 243 of Inside Acting. AJ and I uh, didn't link up our schedules appropriately for this episode, so uh, we are recording this separately. He's got a few pre-recorded segments that he sent in that I'm going to play in just a moment. But before we dive into that, just a a couple quick announcements. Uh, First off, big uh, hello, welcome, hug, high five to our newest member and the membership, Yolanda Porter. Yolanda, welcome. So thrilled to have you as part of the the inner circle of the family now. And I also wanted to quickly plug my uh, latest VO to go go voiceover class, which is happening in Hollywood this coming Sunday, the 24th. Uh, And we're going to cover some big stuff. We're going to cover mastering voice123.com. That's actually a two part uh, module. There are two parts to that because it's kind of a beast. Voice123.com, for any of you who aren't familiar, is kind of like the big dog on the block when it comes to the pay-to-play audition website. So if you're looking to build a career in voiceover, uh, you're definitely going to want to be on voice123.com and not necessarily spending money on other sites. And we'll cover 
why and excuse me, how to set up a, a really effective uh, voice123.com profile. So we're going to cover that in, uh, in those first two modules. And then the third module on Sunday is going to be voicing digital and internet content. So a lot of new media type stuff out there, uh, especially on voice123.com when it comes to digital and internet voiceover content. So there's a lot of, uh, there's some new skill sets and some new ways to approach it and, and new ways to handle clients and things like that. So if you're looking to build a business in voiceover work, uh, uh, from home on your own schedule with your own gear. Uh, it's a pretty sweet class to check out. So get, it's coming up again July 24th at 5 p.m. in Hollywood. And if you would like to join me, you can go to vo2gogo.com slash Hollywood to reserve a seat for Sunday's class. I hope to see you there. As far as news for me, Trevor, goes, uh, I wanted to thank you guys again for listening to the little snippet of the cover of Hurt that I did last week. I was like literally shaking and sweating as I pressed the publish button on the episode. It was really scary for me to, to share that work. So I really appreciate the kind words that some of you have sent my way and definitely thank you for listening to it. And if you hated it, I really appreciate you not telling me because it's it's not a uh, it's not a finished piece of work yet. Um, and also, I just you know I appreciate uh, the positive support. So uh, I had declared that by the time this episode was published, the finished version would be up and out and about in the world. And that's actually not the case. And uh, I just wanted to kind of explain why. I've been putting a lot of time into it. I've just been like in that freaking world nonstop these past couple weeks. And the song is about 85% of the way there. I'm enjoying the crap out of working on it. Uh, but there's still a lot of work to be done. It's not clicking the way I want it to click and some things still need to be smoothed over. And rather than release a subpar, you know, offering into the world, I thought I'd give it a little bit more more time. But I have found the sort of public accountability of announcing, declaring it on the podcast, and then working pretty diligently to deliver on that public declaration. I found it really supportive. So again, thank you guys for um, holding me to it, whether you knew it or not. And that's about it for me. So let's go ahead and uh, hear from AJ. AJ, what's going on in your world? This week was... Not super eventful, um, except to say that I have been in rehearsals for a show that uh, will probably be opening at the time of you listening to this, either tomorrow night or tonight, depending on when you listen to it. But it, it opens this Thursday. And <clears throat> it's with a theater company that I've worked with before called the Jewish Women's Theater. And I really appreciate their professionalism and the way that they um, treat their actors, pay their actors, um, take actors' time into consideration. Um, it really raises the bar for working with other companies. Like, there's never any downtime. If I'm at rehearsal, I'm working, and if they're not using me, they let me go. They pretty much, they feed us almost every time we go there. Um, which is not necessary, but it's just a nice little treat, especially for smaller theater in Los Angeles. Anybody who's done this, these, these smaller theater gigs in L.A., New York, doesn't really matter. We usually don't get paid. And while I'm not getting paid for rehearsal, like I said, I am getting fed. And then when I do the shows, the shows are, um, I think they're like $50 per performance, which is five times as much as you would get if you were just doing any other 99-seat theater production in, in L.A., and the other thing is, you know, we talked last week about 
you know, uh, that quote that we are still unsure of who to attribute it to, either Will Smith or, or LL Cool J, who said, you know, be ready so you don't have to get ready. It's been, I've been really antsy and itching to get on stage or get in front of the camera or do something. And we're very, um, you know, big on the DIY stuff, but uh, I've prioritized other things in my life. And opening up the space to do something like this and being on stage again, they, they, they basically do these, what they call salons. They're sort of like staged readings. So I'm holding a book the whole time, but the, but the work is still there and it's still... It's a very specific work, and it, requ- it requires, you know, just as much vulnerability and command of language and, and everything else that any other theater piece or acting challenge might require of, a, of an actor. And I'm just realizing that being involved in something like that, again, you know, I, I, I already knew that I had a hunger for it. I'm realizing just how hungry I was in being involved with this and also just realizing that part of the reason that we get to be doing stuff, anything, you know, DIY or otherwise, is so that we're not super cold when the next opportunity comes along. Now, I've been, you know, lucky enough to get a lot of auditions recently, which is one way of preparing for the next audition is to actually have an audition or meeting. Um, but there's nothing that can replace experience, like doing the work, experiencing the work, the conversations that I'm having with the director, knowing, you know, what I'm bringing to the table, what choices I'm making and how they're coming across and having the director give me feedback on that. Just this, the simplest things, the feedback that you're getting from the director can teach you a lot about how you're being perceived. So anyway, I just wanted to share that experience as, as being my my sort of big learn from the week. Oh, and if you want to come see the show, <laughs> it's uh, it's running for two weeks with a possible extension for another week, and it's at jewishwomenstheater.org. Um, and if you cannot afford the ticket, of course, if you're in Los Angeles, if you cannot afford the ticket price, they do take um, a couple of volunteers every night to kind of set up and break down. And you'll get to see the show and eat and hang out. And so uh, could, you know, could be fun, could be worth it. Anyway, uh, check it out if you want to come see it. That is so awesome and so true. Um, first of all, congrats, AJ. I, he, AJ just kind of told me about this or gave me a flyer like a couple of days ago. And I was like, hey, you, you haven't talked about this in the podcast. And he's like, well, we haven't had a chance to. But I, I do want to say I've seen some stuff at Jewish Women's Theater, and they actually do some really, really good work. So I'm really stoked to hear that um, you, AJ, are involved with them. And you're so right, man. There's nothing that substitutes actually doing the work. And this comes from somebody who loves to to read about things, who likes to, like, you know, what's the saying? Uh, you can't pay somebody to do your push-ups for you. You know, you're not going to get stronger by reading about how to do push-ups uh, or talking about how to do push-ups. you got to actually go and do the push-ups. So I think it's really true. You know, sometimes I wonder if this podcast occasionally has become a sort of um, avoidance mechanism for me and not not avoidance in terms of like, uh, you know, running away from something because I'm clearly not. I'm, you know, we're, we're producing an episode every week, but avoidance in terms of like, well, it's a great way to just talk about the work and feel like I've gotten my, you know, I've scratched the itch. 
Um, so you're absolutely right, man. That's a really good point. I just want to high, highlight that, that, that uh, you want to be ready so you don't have to get ready. And that comes from doing the work. And, and on that note, because I know a lot of uh, actors um, are working, you know, one, two, three, four, five thrival jobs a lot of the time, and they can't always spring for a couple hundred bucks a month for an acting class. Here's a great thing you can do. I'm sure most of you guys already know this, but I'll go ahead and just say it. Get involved with a play like, like the Jewish Women's Theater stuff or find a theater ensemble or a theater group or an improv group or something that is free to join or very low cost. That conversation about paying dues to the theater groups is a whole other thing that we won't go into here. But if you find a group that you can do work with like that, you can essentially get free acting classes most nights of the week just by virtue of being in rehearsal and working on a script and working with other people and getting ready to put on a production and working with a director and taking direction and making adjustments. I mean, that is really, really invaluable. There is something to be said for cold reading classes and improv classes and things like that, but being involved with a production, you're essentially doing the work rather than taking a class about doing the work. So I think that there is a time and place and absolute necessity for class, but uh, a great way to get class for free, so to speak, is to just go do plays. Um, of course, you can produce your own work, but I really enjoy the collaborative nature of putting on a play. I enjoy the deadline-driven nature of putting on a piece of work, knowing that it's going to be you on that stage with an audience just a few feet from you, and if you suck, it's all on you. It's not like a, a short film that you can kind of sweep under the rug if it blows, or you know, uh, a web series or something that you can just sort of forget about. Uh, you know, having a, a, a play where you're in the same room with people and you're, and you're doing work for them I think can go a long way towards just, you know, cutting your teeth, getting your training wheels off and, and, and showing up. Um, so good, um, good point. I think there's a real um, lifelong lesson in there. He said modestly. Support for this episode of Inside Acting also comes from VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system that you guys just heard me talk about, and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best Voiceover Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start to get access to a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you kickstart your voiceover career and add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, GoGo.com slash start. Okay, guys, that about does it for the first part of episode 243. We have a really nice backlog of listener questions, some really good stuff that I'm excited to get to, excited to dig into and talk about and hear AJ's take on and really to sort of unpack and dissect and, and find uh, some, some good ways to move forward with some of the things that a lot of you have been writing in with. So thank you for the questions. Some of these go back a few weeks, so if you have written to us and we've responded and said, thanks, we're going to talk about it soon, just know that it's it's here. Uh, we've got it. We're excited to talk about it as soon as next week. So let's go ahead and jump into part two of my chat with the beautiful and talented Sophia Savage. If you guys haven't seen her short films, Empyrean and or Total Moon, go to her website right now. Uh, link in the show notes and watch those films. They're about 10, 12 minutes a piece and they're just freaking I, so I just adore them, man. I think they're really, really well done. I think there's a lot we can take as, as artists, a lot of inspiration, a lot of uh, our own filling the well just from seeing the work of 
a filmmaker and an actress who's not afraid of silences, who I think uses uh, camera angles and long takes and, and editing it to, to a really effective storytelling uh, place. So, uh, yeah, check it out, um, and then um, you'll be even more excited to hear part two uh, of my chat with her. So let's just go ahead and jump in. Here it is, part two with Sophia Savage. See you guys on the other side. There are <clears throat> essentially two different main approaches to a successful career in the entertainment industry. And one of them is to kind of really focus on being a hired gun, being the actor who can <clears throat> take a piece of copy or, you know, text and just really own it and make it their own and be something. And, you know, hire me. I'm a great actor. I hear you're looking for actors. And the other sort of main approach is to just say, okay, I can do that, but I'm really going to focus on telling my own stories, on making my own work, creating my own doorway that I can walk through. And it seems that's your approach. It seems like most. Oh man, I don't know if I have an approach, (laughs) but stop me if I talk too much, but I'll try to answer this question in a roundabout way. Um, I would love to just be hired to do something, you know, to like execute a role and get paid for it. That sounds really nice. But I am not that girl. I've been trying for years, and whenever I go for that kind of thing, like the guest star, the this role or the that role, like the kind of easy put-it-on-your-resume stuff, I get great feedback from casting directors. I'm always saying to my agents, like, give me feedback, even if it's bad, because I want it, you know? But they're always like, they loved you. You're great. You look too young, or Mm -hmm. you look too old, or you look too young, but you sound too old, and you're you don't look American enough, or you're not exotic enough. You're too sexy. You're too pretty. You're too weird looking. You're it's just there's always yeah. something. You look too much you're like too, the casting director. Your eyes Jax. are too green. Yeah. Your hair is too dark. Your arms are too buff. It's like there's all these arbitrary things, and it's never um, you're a bad actor, and they didn't like you, and they thought you were terrible. That would actually be more useful, you know, but you, I'm sure you know this too. It's like as an actor, the the reasons why you don't get something are often really silly and you can't take it personally because what makes you wrong for one thing makes you right for something else. So after learning this, you know, after a couple of years, it just seemed like, okay, it's not that I'm a bad actor. It's that I, I'm just a hard Category. I mean, it's hard for me to fit into one of these categories. So if I want to act, I'm going to have to find my own opportunities. And when I made my first film, it wasn't so much about making a role for myself. It was really about telling that story, which was about my father and about directing something because I had directed some theater and my focus in college was writing and directing for film and theater but it was not something that I thought I had permission to do Mm. so I kind of 
after losing my dad and having this story, I was like, wait, I'm not going to get permission from anybody. I just have to do it. And I should be the one to act in it because it's my story anyways. And this is a good role and I understand it. So why would I give it away to somebody else? And then that whole experience changed the game for me. Yeah. You've gotten some great, um, sort of feedback from that. You've, you've gotten to a lot of film festivals, won a bunch of awards. It, I, I got a little bit of kudos for it. It's a tough, um, it's a tough thing to program in festivals mm. and I have very few positive things to say about festivals in general, so I'll <laughs> try to say what, what I can positively. Um, <laughs> well, why, why is it? Let me stop you there. Why is it tough? Why is it a tough thing to program? In my experience, for, I wrote for IndieWire for three and a half years, so I attended a lot of festivals and covered a lot of that stuff. And it's kind of from that perspective, I I think I have a kind of a different understanding of how festivals work, how the industry in general works, which has kind of made me a little bit bitter, but also helped inform me and kind of see things more clearly rather than just feel like I'm going crazy. Um, festivals do not necessarily program the best films. In fact, they often don't. The people choosing them tend to be a very small group of people, if not one person. And often the first round of, um, of people who are screening films when it's just like, you know, they have 10,000 submissions and the first round, there's just volunteers in the community wherever that film festival takes place. And if they don't happen to like your film based on their own personal preferences, you might never have your film seen by an actual programmer. Mm. And even if you do, that programmer is still just a person who has their own likes and dislikes and they have their own kind of quotas to meet and they have to fill the seats and make the festival some money back and all that kind of stuff. So it's very political. And I know that short, quick, funny, um, kind of kitschy films, short films do really well at a lot of festivals. Hmm. If you have a celebrity in the film, doesn't matter if your film is good, it's going to get programmed somewhere. Hmm. If your film is slow if it's um, kind of experimental and asks something of the audience in a short format, that's tricky. Because if you sit down for a 90-minute block of short films and most of them are fun, easy, they make you laugh, there's a hot girl, there's a funny joke, there's some blood, there's kind of these you know, these cliched things, but things that people like yeah. to see trailer stuff, basically. Yeah. yeah. If you have a couple of those played back to back, it's, it gives the audience or generic, you know, audience what it wants. None of my films do that. My films are not necessarily enjoyable to watch. They do not stick some kind of meaning at the end. I really, I think I, they're asking more engagement from the audience and they're the kind of films that you need to think about. Um, I work a lot with metaphor, which I always assume everyone does when making a film, but a lot of people don't. They just, it's like what you see is what you get. And with mine, every time I watch my films, they're different. So I think to just kind of fit it into the middle of a bunch of other short films, it, it's tricky. And I understand as a programmer, I would have a hard time programming them too. Um, so I totally get it, but I also refuse to pander to a generic audience that won't even remember 
my film. So I'd rather make the film that I feel good about that so that if someone does insult it or doesn't like it or doesn't get it, I'm like, that's okay. I'm not making a film for the masses. I'm making a film that means something to me so that I can stand by it and feel good about it. None of them are perfect, but I need to feel okay with it because I can't expect other people to sit through my films if I can't sit through my films. You know, if there's no meaning to me, there's no meaning to anybody else. Right. But if one person in an audience who happens to be at the screening that my film is playing in, if they connect to it and they come up to me and say, oh my God, like, me too. Like, me too. Like, I, I know exactly, that was like exactly what happened to me. Hmm. But the film with my dad, it's, it, my story's very specific, but I told the film in a way where there's enough space for other people to put in their own story. Exactly, and yeah. And connect to it, which with a film like that, I think... That's, it's just what I appreciate in films. So that's kind of one of my guiding forces is like, if I appreciate something in another film, then as an audience member, I can give the same gift to my audiences. Meaning I like when I have to figure it out. I like having to engage, having to think about it, having to either watch it multiple times or just think about the multiple meanings that could be there. Mm -hmm. So they're not for everyone. You know, not everyone likes weird, slow foreign films. Mm -hmm. I do. <laughs> so I know that because of that, the way I make a film, not everyone's going to like it. But the people that do are really going to appreciate it for, for reasons that are a little bit more elusive, but to me more satisfying. So all that said... Why? Did that answer any? I don't it even know. What the absolutely did. Was. Absolutely did. Okay. Uh, um, and I love it. And I actually want to ask about sure. your creative process. Sure. But before we get there, what? Why don't you like film festivals? It's not that I don't like them. I think I know people who have had one short film go to a film festival, and it's successful, and they win an award, and they get funding for the feature, or they get written up in you know, an article online or something like that. None of that's happened for me and that's fine, but there's some, there's some issues with how festivals are run where things get lost. Things slip between the cracks. I'm not necessarily saying it's necessarily saying it's me, but I've seen other films where it's like, you know, my, my shorts have played in other blocks with other short films and I see one and I'm like, this film is incredible. Why is this film not going to more festivals why aren't people talking about it why is no one interviewing this filmmaker you know um the best films and the most talented people are not necessarily the ones who get any attention so I feel like after going through this several times with some short films and and feeling you know not that they're perfect but that they're good that they're worth seeing um it's just it's the flash in the pan and it's gone and no one cares that's part of the business. You know, you, people don't have to give a damn, but hmm. as a, as an entity, a festival should have some responsibility to holding up the films that need support. And I don't think that's what's happening with 10,000 submissions. I mean, I would imagine that can sometimes be a conservative number. How, how would that be possible? It's not. They're not set up to do this. Yeah. They're, they're not set up to truly support independent filmmakers or find independent filmmakers. That's just not. Yeah. I'm sorry, but there, there's very few film festivals who have um, total transparent, transparency and integrity with 
kind of what their their motto is or their mission statement. Part of me feels like they just that's just a really great way to make money. It is. I mean, there's I'm not the only person who feels this way. People can go out and find articles and studies about this. There's way more festivals than there need to be. Yeah. They're a way for people who love films and partying with filmmakers to like get money through submissions and then through parties and you know, mm-hmm. they'll play the films that they want to play, but they'll take submission money from anyone. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't they? Yeah. And I'm not saying they all should disappear and they're all bad, but um just like being an actor, being a, you know, an indie filmmaker, uh this industry uh, you are the blood that this vampiric industry feeds on. And that's wow. very dark, but it is, I think people need to know that because if you're not playing the game, you're going to get played. And I don't really want to play the game at all, but I want to know that the rules are so that if I choose to engage, if I choose to submit my film, I'm not paying $80 blindly thinking I'm going to get into Sundance when I know for a fact I'm not based on numerous things, you know? So I just, I'm, I'm a fan of being educated about the things you're doing, you know, find out the information to protect yourself from being taken advantage of. So basically do your homework, do your homework and And, and you're not entitled to anything. It's not like, fuck these festivals. My film's better and I should get to go. No, you're not entitled. Not everyone should be making movies. Not everyone, not everyone's movie needs to be seen. That's just not how the world works. It's not how the industry works, but if you want to compete and try to get your film seen, do your homework. Know how hard it is. Hmm. Know that you're probably going to get rejected a lot more than you're going to get accepted. That's just, and if that's not okay with you, then um, I don't know what to, <laughs> to tell you. I mean, I'm flattered to even have the opportunity to talk about this stuff because I feel like I'm still pushing a giant rock up a mountain. People should not enter in blindly thinking it's easy. I have people come, you know, younger people now that I'm old, I'm, I'm like, people look to me like I know something. So I have younger people be like, should I move to LA and do this or this or this? And I'm like, is there anything else you want to do? Or do you think this would be fun? Or is this like, like a burning desire that you have to do? And often they're like, oh, well, I just thought it would like, you make it look so fun. Like, I want to make a movie. I can make a movie. If you can make a movie, I can make a movie. And I'm like, okay, sure, you can try, but it's not easy. Yeah. I've been here over seven years, and it's tough. What would you tell somebody who decided they wanted to move to L.A. and Mm -hmm. kind of follow in your footsteps based on what you've learned? You can't. You can't. There's no... That's just not how the industry works. You can't follow in anyone's footsteps. My Like, how could I have predicted that within a year of moving to L.A., my dad would die and that would be the thing that led to me telling a story in my directorial debut. If if that hadn't have happened, I'd still have my dad, but maybe I would never have had the courage to direct something. So I don't know what my footsteps are. It's still mm. unfolding. The, the The path is so winding and mysterious and there's so many choices along the way and um, it's a great adventure if, if it's truly what you feel you want to do but yeah I just I'd be cautious to to be responsible as like the the person people are looking to as an example of success 
success has nothing to do with any of that stuff. It doesn't have to do with the film festivals or it's entirely individual. So for someone to model their happiness or success or their plan off of me, I think is just foolish. Hmm. I just know that for me, it's never helped to look to someone else's path and be like, I wanted to be just like that. Cause I'm like, that's an entirely different life. Sure. That yeah. I, and I can't even imagine the complexities of what I don't see. Right. Yeah, I I think it's, you know, part of what we try to do with this podcast is sort of hone in on the commonalities that people um, have on their way sort of into and through this industry. Um, So that said, I'm curious to hear about your, not like routine, but like, how do you go about taking an idea from sort of, you know, inception all the way through to film? And do you have a writing routine or any, any sort of big things that you found this works for me? Mm-hmm. I'd say to me, it doesn't feel like a routine or there, it feels like there's no order to it. But more recently, I've started to notice like there are patterns to my creative process, even though I've kind of thought that that's just like magical and it just kind of happens. Like the reality is that at least if we're talking about like films that I've written and then directed, um, it starts as a combination of like little ideas of like a scene that takes place here in this environment with this kind of character, just like little things like that. And maybe I'll just start writing them down somewhere and maybe they don't relate to each other at all at first, but just images or dynamics that were sparked somehow. Maybe I see people on the street and they're doing something or saying something, like a a line of dialogue, and I'm like, that's a great line, you know? Or I'll be reading a book and some paragraph triggers some idea or concept. I read a lot, which for anyone listening that does, just anyone who's a human being should be reading a lot, period. Like a book, like an actual real book. Go to Amazon, pay the... $3.99 Three ninety nine for shipping for the old books, and as a human being, you that you owe it to yourself to read and to be informed about everything that's come before you, um, if you plan on surviving in the future. <laughs> Amen. So um, I read a lot in my like downtime when I'm like between projects or ideas. I read a lot because you need to fill the well, and that's one of the best ways to do it. I also will. I feel like all of that stuff coincides with whatever I'm dealing with, like in my emotional, personal life, just as a human being. And I tend to do just like journaling, just kind of free form, just write it down stuff. If I'm like, I can be very intellectual about everything and very analytical. And it's helpful for me to just get it on paper sometimes. Like, okay, Sophia, you're just like running the same ideas in your head and it's not productive. Just write it down. Just like write a bunch of stuff down doesn't matter what it is no one's gonna read it doesn't just write stuff down and that just kind of helps let stuff out lets ideas out and at some point it might start connecting to these larger themes that I'm either reading about thinking about you know drawn to in film or art or something and just themes start to emerge and this you know this could be over a couple years a couple of months um But it's definitely a combination of my personal growth or the thing that I'm struggling with or the the, the thing, the question that I'm living with. I am, there's always something, right? Like there's always something as a person, you're like, 
that's just overwhelming you. That's like kind of mm-hmm. challenging you all the time. And that's yeah. fine. That's what it means to be alive. That's conflict. We need some conflict to think about things and to come up with new ideas. So it starts as being very much about me, like what I, Sophia, am going through. But then I'll notice how it relates to some broader pattern I'm attracted to out in the world. And I'm like, oh, that's why I'm interested in this idea. It somehow relates to my personal journey. So that's when things start to get kind of electric and you can tell something's coming. And I hmm. feel like the stage is to take all the the themes and ideas from out there and apply them somehow either to me personally or to some character that represents kind of the question I'm dealing with, the struggle I'm dealing with. And then things start to merge and a story starts to come. Sometimes mm. I start the, a script and I don't know where it's going and sometimes I know exactly where it's going and I don't know all the components, but they kind of come over time. And yeah, I guess each one, that's kind of the pattern, but for each thing I've done, it's been a little different every time. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed part two of my chat with Sophia. Part three is coming next week, and that's going to round out the full uh, interview series with Sophia. And then we've got some really exciting guests coming up uh, the weeks after that. We've got several guests banked, several months worth of, uh, of podcast content already banked. So very excited to get that out to you guys. Uh, as far as debriefing or recapping um, some of the things that Sophia shared, I have to say that I relate to her, what she said at the beginning of this interview segment, I relate to her feeling that she wasn't ever really, you know, quote unquote, right for almost everything that she was auditioning for, you know, you're too tall, you're too short, you're too fat, you're too thin, you're too good looking, you're too ugly, you're too this, you're too that, your chin's too big, your chin's too small, like, you know, you look too much like the mom we've already cast, you don't look enough like the mom we've already cast, you look like my ex-boyfriend, my ex-girlfriend, so I don't like you off right off the bat, you know, that kind of thing, and I, I feel like that's also a thing for me, um, I'm sure some of you listening have experienced that as well, um, and uh, AJ said this a few months ago, or maybe a few weeks ago, actually, on the show. He said, you know, it's up to us to sort of train casting directors and directors and producers how to perceive us. And I think this comes down to just like simple productivity principles. If you've got a lot of things on your plate, let's say you've got like, you know, 20 items in your to-do list, you're you're a casting director, you're a producer, you're a, a whatever, a showrunner, and you're just running a million things and you just want to get these things taken care of so you can move on to the next thing because you're on a deadline, it's high pressure. The last thing you want to do is is see an actor that you don't know what to do with. It's just a whole other level of mental labor. It's just like, okay, now I, I, I like this person. You know, I think they're good at what they do, but I, I can't quite tell what sort of niche they fit into. I can't quite tell how to sort of box them or label them. And that's not to say that as actors and human beings, we should be looking to label ourselves. But I think it says something for taking that mental labor off of somebody else's plate and saying, this is what you get. Very clear. And, you know, it goes back to Mark Atterbury's stuff, you know, typing. 
show them right off the bat. Train people to know that right off the bat, you walk into the room and you are this kind of guy. You are the affable, friendly, non-threatening guy or girl next door. You are the hard-edged, hard-nosed lawyer. You are the regretful doctor. You know, whatever it is, I think if you can come up with two or three words to sort of be your go-to, your core type, that can go a long way towards not only booking the office, but then also, of course, booking the work. Just because people need to know how to cast you right off the bat. And then once you've got a few of those credits under your belt and you've got a few relationships built, then you can branch out and be your true self. Then you can branch out and be the ethnically ambiguous person. Or the, the, the like one thing with me, an acting coach a long, long time ago told me that uh, I'm like a band geek trapped in a jock's body. It, it's it sucks. It's frustrating. I'm like a sensitive, cheesy poet artist who loves animals, but when people see me walk in the room, they're like, jock frat guy. I already don't like him. And I'm like, you don't understand. I'm I'm so sweet and sensitive and gooey inside. So it's, you know, I have to oftentimes play up that jock thing, and it feels completely inauthentic and false, but that's also what's going to get my foot in the door. So I just wanted to point that out because I think that's important what Sophia mentioned. And if you just feel like that's not the path for you, you know, be showing up and trying to be something that you just, you're just not, if that's not your thing, then make a couple films like Sophia's doing. Make beautiful films, pour your heart and soul into them, and then show people this is who I am. This is what I can do. This is the attention that I bring to the world and share through the work that I do. As you can tell, I'm very inspired by what Sophia had to share. Uh, so looking forward to sharing part three with you guys next week. Okay, uh, picks of the week. So I'll go ahead and jump in here first. My pick of the week is a great new podcast that just uh, came out with their second season. They've just started their second season, and it's called Invisibilia. I actually discovered this from our previous uh, producer, Nelson, uh, who lives up in San Francisco now. But uh, he sent out a tweet that said, like, oh, I'm so glad Invisibilia is back. And I started listening to it, and it's really, really good. They describe it as, as being about the invisible forces that control human behavior, ideas, beliefs, assumptions, and emotions. And it's a really fascinating trip down the rabbit hole if you're looking for a great podcast. Podcast. Each episode's about an hour long. Bring that for a great podcast that really examines all the different ways that people can uh, process the world based on frames of reference and the stories we tell ourselves and how reality isn't always reality. It's shaped by these different things. Check it out. Invisibilia, there's a link on our website to the NPR page for the podcast as well as uh, as well as an iTunes link. And uh, AJ's pick of the week. My pick of the week this week is a film, an animated film, uh, that is currently on HBO Now. If you don't have HBO Now, you can get it on iTunes or, you know, I don't know, go and... Do people still go... I guess Redbox, do people still go out and rent videos? Is that still a thing? Um, anyway, it's called The Book of Life, and it is a just gorgeous, gorgeous film um, I watched it uh, the other night with uh, Jasmine and I watched it together and we were so taken aback by the specificity of the animation or, or the art in the film. And it's also very funny. Like I was, I found myself laughing like every few minutes, uh, sometimes even faster than that, like every other line being like a really, a really funny laugh line. Um, but the whole thing you know, I don't want to spoil anything necessarily about the movie, but the the animation style is obviously immediate and very clear, and it's all in this uh, 
Dia de los Muertos uh, style of, of animation, um, the Day of the Dead, and it's it's by um, it was written, directed, animated, partially produced by um, uh, this uh, Mexican artist whose name is escaping me. So I'm literally looking it up as we speak. But uh, while I look it up, I'll just talk a little bit mo more about the the film itself. Um, it, it was unlike any other animated film that I've ever seen because of the animation style that was used. And there's some pretty big stars in it. And I remember sort of seeing it, seeing a little bit about it when it first, um, you know, came out. But I didn't, it didn't really like, it wasn't in the zeitgeist. And I, I feel like the more I, people I can sort of bring to to see it, uh, uh, the better. But um, his name is Jorge Gutierrez, and man, what a talented guy. Uh, Jasmine actually got the opportunity to meet him just the other night, and um, hopefully we'll have this guy on the podcast because his storytelling and the stuff he has to say about being an artist and persevering and Anyway, I, I don't want to give too much uh, about him or the or the film away, but but check it out if you can. The Book of Life, um, it's 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 a gorgeous gorgeous film. Oh, I'm so stoked to check that out. And uh, by the way, AJ, number one, I I would love to get him on the podcast, and I can't wait to see the film, and then get even more excited about having him on the podcast. And number two, nice Spanish uh, accent there, man. You really knocked it out, Jorge Gutierrez. Uh, beautiful. All right, well, that is Invisibilia, a great podcast you subscribe to and check out to kind of bake your noodle a little bit, and The Book of Life. Links to both of those on our website. That does it for this episode of Inside Acting, episode 243. Thank you for listening. Today's episode of the podcast was produced and co-hosted by me, Trevor Algott, and, of course, A.J. Meyer. Jen Levin is our rock star production coordinator. Gidali Guberek is our rock star marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our rock star community manager. Timothy Patrick Waterman is our rock star, super rock star director of public relations. He's been heading up our social media and guys, we hit 10,000 Twitter followers. I'm really excited about that. And every time I look at our, our Twitter feed, I'm like, damn, Timmy is just really killing it, man. He, the guy knows what's up. He's even talked about possibly putting together a, a little mini course for our members about how to effectively utilize social media in your uh, life and business. And I think that'd be a really valuable thing. I, I certainly would like to, to hear about that. Uh, Trevor Algott, that's me, edited and mixed today's episode and composed the theme and interview music. And Fern Lim designed our logo. Check out her work at thecontagiousfern.com. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes over at our website, insideacting.net. Also find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. We're, we're everywhere. Hopefully you listen to podcasts. And if you uh, like what you hear, go ahead and leave us a review somewhere, uh, preferably iTunes, because that's just sort of the, the main pit stop that most people go to for podcasts. But leaving us a review is, is a really very helpful thing to do so if you are not in a place to financially contribute and you don't feel comfortable sharing it with your friends in other ways uh, a review on itunes a favorable hopefully uh, four or five star review goes a long long way and as we always say if there's something you don't like about the show it'd be really nice if you let us know personally and not through a review uh, of course you're free to do whatever you'd like but give us a chance to fix it and uh, and earn a five star review from you 
big thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro and VO2GoGo.com. And a big thanks to you guys, our listeners. If you really dig this thing and you want to maximize its value in your life and career and support the continued production of it, ensure that it continues because uh, it does cost many man hours and dollars to produce every week. Go ahead and sign up as a member and get cool perks like access to our membership message board, uh, various freebies, invites to exclusive member meetups, and uh, more, more stuff. Some interesting stuff coming, especially from the guys over at Inner Image Media. Some great educational resources coming to the membership very soon. Just visit InsideActing.net and click on the membership tab to get started. And that does it for episode 243 of Inside Acting. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, fill the well. Oh, 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 o